Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for this episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. I am absolutely honored to have as my guest for today's episode, Coach Kirk Lehman, the retired basketball coach from Defiance High School. Uh, Coach Coach has a phenomenal story and a terrific journey through coaching with some real ups and downs and some time away from the game and ultimately led his alma mater, Defiance High School, to a state championship. And uh, before retiring, obviously here uh, just within the last uh, few months, uh, interesting journey, interesting story, and just a wonderful guy. I hope you enjoy my visit with Coach Kirk Lehman of Defiance High School. Hey, I wanted to interrupt the podcast just for a second to say thanks again for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But I had a quick announcement for any of our listeners that are coaches or interested coaches in Northwest and West Central Ohio uh, looking to get involved in a clinic or coaches social type setting. Coach Greg Elking at New Bremen High School and I are working together uh, to put on an event called Talking Hoops Coaches Clinic and Social. It is Saturday, October 17th at the Halls of Hanover in Minster, Ohio. Again, if you're interested, you'll need to RSVP to Coach Greg Elking. That's coachelk34 at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me and I can direct you to, uh, uh, to Greg to get the information you need. My email is coachjohncook at yahoo.com. It's got a limited capacity and we are holding it on October 17th. It's really short notice. So if you're interested at all, please RSVP now by contacting me. Again, coachjohncook at yahoo.com or contact Greg Elking at coachelk34 at gmail.com. Hope to see you on Saturday, October 17th in Minster. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Kirk Lehman. Kirk is the former head coach at Defiance High School for, for, for most of our listeners. His career includes a lot more than that, and we're looking forward to, to letting Coach share his story and talk about his career. Uh, but it was his time at Defiance High School that kind of defined uh, his career in Northwest Ohio. And if we've got listeners, obviously, outside of Northwest Ohio, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, Coach's story as he talks about his journey in coaching. And uh, Coach Lehman, first of all, it's nice to talk to you. I know we were supposed to do this about a month ago, and I came home to a, a wife that was sick, and then you went on vacation, and then it's just not, not been easy to reschedule. So thanks for, for joining me tonight and, and giving us the chance to do this. Well, thank you, John. Uh, it's, it's great to join you. And, and Coach, I, I have said this to other people when, when you're not present, and I, I, I try to be a guy that says, if, if I'm going to say it when somebody's not there, I might as well say it to them. And I don't want to be a guy that's blowing smoke, but I've, I've been around high school coaching and, and small college coaching now since, since about 1994. Um, and, and I spent time as a college student before that involved a little bit. And, and I say this with, with the utmost respect. I, the longer I've been around coaching, the more I realize that it, whoever's doing this profession, if you talk to enough people, you're going to find somebody that will say a bad word about about whoever you're talking about, except you. That hasn't happened yet, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm sure you can find somebody if you look hard enough, John, but I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, the game of basketball has been very good to me, and, um, you know, it's it's done an awful lot for me in my life. And, and uh, I've met some great people throughout those years, and, uh you know, that basketball has been a huge part of that, that's for sure. Well, and, and I'm a guy who, who talks incessantly and probably ad nauseum about, uh, regardless of what the, 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 the win-loss ledger looks like, what you just said is true. Ba- basketball creates so many things that, that bring value to my life. Um, and, and I look back on, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not a golfer, I'm not a fisherman, I don't hunt, I, I don't have hobbies, so this is really all I've done. And, and when I look back on the amount of time I've spent at it, I can't 
I just can't hardly express how thankful I am for what it's given to me relationally and, and in my development as a person and, and all of those things. And so every time I do one of these podcasts, Coach, I, I the, 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 the kind of the framework is a little bit the same in sharing people's stories. But that's what I want to get at during a podcast is is what about your experience in the game? you know, ha- has shaped you and been and been the blessing that, that it so often is for us because it's a little bit different for everybody. And and the first question I always kind of start with is it's also a little bit different for everybody is why coaching and when did you know you wanted to do it? Well, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have any idea that I really wanted to be a coach in, until I got into to high school uh, basketball at Defiance here and uh, played for Roger Renz at Defiance High School, played with my brother Jay and uh, Denny Shannon and Stephen Dave Schultz and Mark Ketz. And um, we had some pretty good basketball teams here in the 70s. 70s. Uh, you know, I, I developed a great love for the game in the early 70s. But, um, for coaching, I really developed it when, when I met a gentleman by the name of Roger Renz. Uh, he was my high school basketball coach. Uh, and he had been at Defiance uh, for about four years before uh, I became a sophomore and, and eligible to play. Um, and, uh, you know, just just being around him and watching him work and, and his work ethic and, and the, the way he developed young men and the way he developed the game of basketball and, and how we played it um, just, just kind of gave me that itch. And then I was really lucky when I got to college. Um, I was recruited by Dale Bandy to go to Ohio University. Uh, after my sophomore year, Coach Bandy was fired, uh, and Danny Nee came in. He had been an assistant at Nebraska, or excuse me, assistant at Notre Dame, and then uh, he went on to great success at Nebraska. But uh, he brought with him two two great assistants in Billy Hahn and and Fran Frischella. And uh, uh, Fran now works for for ESP. And, and Billy was a longtime assistant for Gary Williams at Maryland, uh, a longtime assistant for Bob Huggins at, at West Virginia. And, and that's, that's when I really caught the itch to do it for a career. Um, you know, Coach Renz gave me that philosophy and, and the base behind uh, coaching. But then when I got to college and, and I was around those three gentlemen, uh, their work ethic, their preparation, um, just, uh, it just was a great challenge for me. I stayed on as a graduate assistant, and, and I knew I wanted to coach uh, uh, from from those people. Uh, they had a big part in, in, in me coaching. Well, and, and you just said some names that, that for, for me are, are names that I, I have a great reverence for. I, I, I came along a little bit late um, to the game. Like when I was coming out of college, I knew who Roger Renz was, but he is in that or was in that handful, handful and a half of coaches that I, I just missed them um, when I was getting started. And so I got to know Rick, Roger's son, uh, a little bit, and we scrimmaged and, and did some things. And But Roger was one of those guys that fits into that category, what I talked about. Everybody I ever talked to about Roger spoke with such reverence and such respect for how he operated as a person, um, I- including as a coach, but just how he, how he carried himself and conducted himself. And I've always kind of been a little bit regretful that I never got to meet Roger because, uh, you know, from, from not getting to meet Roger, I was, I was obviously fortunate enough to get to know Jerry Snodgrass when he was at Finley after, after Roger, uh, you know, was gone from Finley and, and that tragic way that things unfolded. But um, you mentioned his impact on you and, and you, you kind of described it. So 
do you remember a lot about the X's and O's being appealing to you as a high school guy, or was it more the relational stuff and how he treated his players and, and ran his program? Great question. I, in, in high school, it was more the, the relationships and, and, and how Coach Renz handled himself, and, you know, how he motivated guys and, and so forth. Uh, he was not a huge X and O guy. Um, you know, we ran certain sets, but he wanted players to be creative wanted players to work on individual skills and, and some of those things. Um, you know, the X and O part of the part of my philosophies pretty much came from, from when I went to college and, and played for Dale Bandy. And then, then, as I said, Danny Nee and stayed on as a graduate assistant. And, uh, you know, and then you start to go to clinics, which, uh, again, I, I was a very, very lucky individual to, to have those kind of people in my life those kind of people in my basketball career that introduced me to some of those things. Uh, Coach Nee introduced me to five-star basketball camp. And, and uh, I can remember going to Honesdale, Pennsylvania as a junior in college. Uh, Patrick Ewing was a high school player at Honesdale. And so, so I really got the itch and, and got the feel for the X's and O's once I got to college. But Coach Ren just a, such a first class person and um you know the way he handled himself on the court uh and then when I saw the classroom how he handled his teaching you know there was never a day off even though he was working extremely hard as a basketball coach um you know I had him as a government teacher you know there was never a day off you know he was well prepared in the classroom and he was well prepared on the basketball floor well, and, and, and again, the, the, the amount of value that there is in that, because obviously, Coach, we, we're in an era when, I mean, honestly, fewer and fewer coaches are, are, are seeing kids during the day in the classroom. And, 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 and it can work. It works extremely well. My, my son plays for a high school coach that I really admire and, and as a young man think he does a great job. But there's just something that you gain uh, from, from being around the kids during the day. You know, I, I, one of my early podcast episodes – uh, was T.K. Griffith at, at Hoban High School, and, and he has his own podcast called The Teacher Coach, and he emphasizes, you know, that it's not the only way to do it, but he has a great amount of, of value or places a great amount of value on the teacher-coach model, um, and, and, and it is something that, that's lacking, and I'm glad you got a chance to mention that. Now, you also talked about Coach Nee, and I got to share a brief Coach Nee story. I, I didn't know Danny Nee, but he, he spoke at the Nike Clinic up in Cleveland one year when I was early on as a high school coach and he was at Nebraska at the time. And he, he made this statement right at the start of his talk. He said, I've got the best job in America and none of you believe that I do. But he said, how many of you coach basketball and nobody gives a bleep what you do till January 5th. <laughs> he, he said, I have no, I have no pressure until the football team wins their bowl game in January. He said, he, he said, then they pay attention to me. those kind of things and knowing where he was um you know a, a brooklyn guy coming into athens i, I know he's an assistant at, at notre dame and then he goes to nebraska um you know a, a city guy that could really adjust and, and the great thing that he did um you know is, is he could adjust um when he talked to certain players, he knew exactly what made them tick. You know, so if it was a center like a John Devereaux from from uh, the Bronx or or Kirk Lehman from the from the countryside of Defiance, you know, he, he just knew how players tick, and he he did a communicating with people, and um, you know, he was very aware of all of his situations. That's for sure. 
And, and you know, you, you mentioned, you know, gaining a lot of X's and O's from Coach Bandy, Coach Nee, and then, you know, Coach Hahn and Coach Priscilla you mentioned as well. I, I'm curious, and I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but, but there's no way around what I want to ask is, is when you think back to the way that they did things from an X and O perspective and you think about the way the game gets played today, what were they doing back then maybe that still translates and, and, and really uh, is a part of what you see today versus what maybe they did back then that's that's kind of gone by the wayside? It's a great question, you know, and, and I think the, the big thing that, that all of those guys um, – you know that I was lucky enough to play for harped on were the were the fundamentals of things and and getting easy baskets and, and getting to the free throw line. You know, and even in a day when when you start talking about the three point line and things like that, um, you know, you look at those NBA games and I and I think of the Laker game the other night. You know, talk about the number of layups or points in the paint that they had. Um, and this was against the Houston Rockets, who rely on the three-point. I, I still think some of those things um, make for a successful basketball team. I think you got to get easy baskets, and, and you got to get to the free throw line. And, and as Coach Nee always said, you know, you do that by being fundamentally sound, by using shot fakes, you know, by using pass fakes, and, and those kind of things. So, uh, along with playing really, really hard, you know, that's that that was his big thing, and that's what was Coach Wren's big thing. You know, you can make mistakes, but as long as you're playing hard, we can live with it. And I think that goes a long way. Well, and I love what you said about attacking the basket. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Coach Frischilla as an analyst. I think he might be uh, one of the two or three best guys doing it uh, when, he, when he just talks about the game. It doesn't matter the level that he's talking about. But he, he said once during a, a broadcast back in the early part of this past winter, um, and, and it really stuck with me. Actually, Coach Campoli watched the same same game, and we talked about it one night at practice at Northern. He, Coach Fraschilla said, you know, when you have a halftime lead on the road, just for, for the first five minutes of the half, take no jump shots. And, and I thought that was such an interesting way to approach uh, basketball. But he, what, what he was basically, I think, emphasizing is you're on the road. You're not likely to get as friendly of a whistle anyway. You've got a lead go get to the free throw line early in that half and really, really attack that defense. And, you know, it really just stuck with me that, and over the course of the rest of last season, we would say to our guys, if we were lucky enough to have a lead on the road, no jump shots, no jump shots to start the half. Yeah. And, and I just felt like it was a valuable mindset. Yeah. He, you know, and, and uh, uh, Franny was just a couple years older than I was when he first got to Ohio university and I was a junior um, so, so we were approximately the same age or are approximately the same age, but, uh, just an absolute basketball junkie. I mean, he, he studied the game, um, you know, Billy Hahn, him, those two were assistants. And that's when I learned what, how important film work was, you know, uh, if you didn't have classes, you were at the convocation center and you were in the basketball office, you were breaking down film and, and looking at individual uh, tendencies and things like that, uh, and and they just worked tirelessly. Now, now they they enjoyed themselves and they loved to have fun. But uh, you know, people don't look at uh, all the work that they put in. And and uh, I really learned a great great amount of basketball from Franny and Billy, uh, especially as assistants, how hard they worked and and the amount of film work that they did uh, on the game. Uh, before we get into your actual journey in coaching, I'd like to I'd like to kind of revert back just a, a second about your 
your college and high school experience just from this perspective. I, you know, you and your brother were both extremely good high school players who went on to play in college. We have a mutual friend, Matt Childers, who was very good friends with your brother. I've not met your brother. I've seen him around at, at some games and things. But I, I would like to to talk a little bit about how the relationship you had with your brother helped you as a player, obviously in high school, but even once you guys were on different campuses in college, what was that dynamic like? Well, um, you know, I tell this all the time and, and, uh, uh, of, of all the people I've come across as, as players, as, uh, as a coach, as, as a teammate, uh, as opponents, you know, I don't know if I, I ever played against, played with anybody that was as intense as my brother Jack. I mean, he just had a, a great determination. Um, you know, he's about 5'11", but, but just so determined. Um, you know, I don't know if I ever played again with or against anybody that played as hard as he did. I mean, he uh, he was one that, that decided, hey, as soon as that whistle goes up, I'm going to play as hard as I possibly can till the till the buzzer. I like to tell this story. My freshman year at Ohio University, I was kind of homesick and, you know, uh, been home once or twice, but then the long season of basketball started and, and I, I was still kind of homesick and we played Toledo down at our place. Um, I was the sixth man at the time, so I didn't start, but when I came in, we were in a free throw situation and I kind of went over to Jay and patted him on the leg and said, Hey, how you doing? And he said, not now. He says, we got a game to play. I'll talk to you after the, I'll talk to you after the game. And, and a lot of people thought, think well boy that was kind of kind of mean of him but but that's just the way he was when when the, when the whistle blew and the ball went up um he was totally focused on the game and that's why he had such a great career you know he's in the hall of fame at the university of toledo and and why they won two or three mac championships while he was there uh, he, he just had a great determination um to win and, and to play extremely hard and you know i i I grew up with an identical twin. Now, for a lot of reasons, physically, I wasn't able to do the things. But but when, when, when I talk about growing up really, really close to my brother, the competitive thing was important. I mean, that was a big part of our relationship. And obviously, you guys were competitive. But I've said this lots of times. If you've got a, a brother that's close to you in age, even a year or two apart, and obviously, as an identical twin, it was a little bit different. But I used to make the statement all the time that my brother was my best friend, but there were times when I couldn't stand Nick Cook. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto to that, because uh, I can remember numerous times playing one-on-one -on -one against him, and it ends up with the, somebody throwing the ball at somebody else, and then Dad having to break things up and things like that. So I, I can really relate to that, John. Uh, you know, you, you 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 get angry and you get mad, but but you still love them. And 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 Jay did an awful lot for me as a player and a teammate. You know, he created and you know he just knew the game so well and knew how to find people's shots and just an excellent point guard. Um, but he but he very determined i mean he was he was going to get on you a little bit if you weren't working hard and there were times you'd get angry at him but you knew knew the bottom line was he wanted to win and, and he wanted to play extremely hard and there was still a lot of love there there's a to my way of thinking coach and again i've got some tunnel vision at times but there, there is something about the athletic endeavor that when you when you undertake it with a sibling whether you're competing at whatever level um, I, I think it develops in you something that the people who don't get to do that, they, they just 
they're missing something they don't even realize they're missing. I've always felt that way, and I always will. I don't think I'll ever feel differently about that. And when 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 I chose to go into coaching out of out of college, my brother initially had made that choice as well, and, and it kind of continued that same way. And so, when when you're making the decision to go into coaching, I, I'm always curious about this because you had what sounds like a remarkably good experience as a player that translated into a graduate assistantship. Was there ever a consideration on your part of making college coaching your full-time goal or, or, or pursuing that, or were you always more leaning towards teaching and coaching at the high school level? Well, as I was a graduate assistant, you know, and, and, and uh, Coach Nick, as I said earlier, got me involved in five-star basketball camp, and that's when the, you know, the, the Rick Patinos and the Pete Gillen were kind of running those camps and things like that. I mean, it's just, just numerous names of, of great college basketball coaches and and uh, Coach Freshella and Coach Hahn had always asked me, they said, hey, if we get a job, are you interested in, in coaching college basketball? And uh, as I was a graduate assistant, I just thought, boy, oh, boy, these guys are on the go constantly, you know, 365 days out of the year. And I, I knew I wanted a family, and, and I knew I wanted to to uh, to teach and, and coach. But, um, you know, I just didn't know if I wanted to 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 do it 365 days. So I had some opportunities, but, but I just, bottom line was I, I wanted to coach at the high school level and, and, uh, and do some other things personally and things like that. Um, you know, it, it, it turned out tremendously for me. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, I got a daughter that's a junior down there at Ohio U right now. And uh, she, she's a junior and already talking about dreading the day that she has to leave Athens for the last time because she loves it down there so much. Um, and, 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 and you had an experience as a player and then as a GA um, and you, you didn't have to go super far uh, when you first got started. And, and I don't know if a lot of our listeners know that you spent time as an assistant coach at Logan High School. Is that correct? It is. I spent one, one year there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Athens is—it's it, just a blessing that I that I went there and I had a chance to go to Toledo and 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 play with Jay. Um, but I just felt like I wanted to get out on my own, and and uh, luckily I was offered a scholarship by Bill Brown, Mike Wren, and, and Dale Bandy at Ohio University. Uh, I couldn't be more grateful to him because uh, it turned out to be a great thing. I I go back to Athens two or three times a year and. Uh, it's just a great place for me. It's got a lot of great memories, and, and uh, it did an awful, awful lot for Kirk Lehman. But but I did catch on at Logan uh, through our camps at Ohio University. I met Kirk Hardman, who was the head coach at Logan. And uh, the summer after I was a graduate assistant, uh, a job opened up at Logan, and, and I uh, stayed on as a JV coach there and, and uh, taught business classes. And when you when you think about that one year uh, at the high school level as an assistant, I mean, you've, you've already shared just what I think is, you know, a, a master's to Ph.D. level experience with the high school coach that you played for and the college coaches that you work for. Is there anything about your experience at Logan that stands out as particularly impactful on you preparing to be a head coach? Well, one thing, and, and again, uh, Kirk Hartman, um, was a very successful coach. He come from the Marriott area and uh, um, come to Logan. And, and one thing that he did that, that kind of caught my eye is uh, he played some matchup zone. He did some different things defensively, and he changed up quite a bit. 
in uh, the philosophies that I had been under and, and basically seen uh, was the majority of man to man and then a basic two, three type zones. Um, you know, he did some different things towards scouting reports and so forth. And uh, his preparation for games at the high school level was, was very, very good. Um, you know, and, and uh, so I kind of took some of his defensive philosophies when I went on to be a head coach. And, and you know, you've mentioned the word preparation a, a handful of times. And um, I always am, am fascinated because I, I think – there's no substitute for it, but people just have different ways of going about it. Um, I, I guess we'll get into your philosophy on some things a little bit later, but as you were evolving early on in your coaching career and you had seen what examples of preparation were like and, and how you wanted to approach uh, preparation, was it difficult as a young coach to balance preparing for opponents and still developing your own team? Yeah, it really, really was. And that, uh, Coach Coach Renz was was very big on, um, you know, do what you do well, and continue to do it. And and uh, um, if you do that, you'll you'll win a lot of games at the high school level. You know, Coach, we had scouting reports, and, and we concentrated on on some of their sets and plays and things like that. But he was huge on, you know, do things well. Uh, that we're good at and, and teams will have to find a way to guard us or find a way to score against us and so forth. And uh, that, that was my major philosophy. I think as a coach, uh, you know, I, we did focus on other teams and we did scouting reports and things like that. But, you know, we just felt very strongly that if, that if we could do what we did well, we could be successful. Again, a perspective that I think is, I don't know if I want to say it, it's there's there are just to me, there are varied approaches to focusing on us or focusing on preparation and finding that balance. I think it is challenging, but I, I love the perspective of it, there's there's there really isn't a way to replace the importance of doing what we do well. I just I, that, that's something that I've gained a, a real appreciation for as I've gotten older in coaching is that preparation is critically important and, and, and it's, I, I don't think you can replace it, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I've worked for a couple guys that use the term paralysis by analysis. If players are thinking so much about what they've got to do to stop the other guy that they aren't as, as free flowing and as, as able to embrace what they do well, I think you actually reach a point of well beyond diminishing returns. It actually starts to be a little bit of a detriment. Uh, so, so coach, we're getting that gray area. Like we're about five minutes away from needing to take a break. And I, I wanted your, your first opportunity to take over a program. It was at Tenora, if I remember correctly from, from, from what I know about your past and, and from, from Logan to Tenora just about qualifies as you can't get there from here. I mean, that's, 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 that's a, that's a bit of a, of a transition and a change in terms of where you are in the state. But, Talk about taking over your first program, and more most importantly for me is when you do that after your experiences, what did you view as kind of the priorities that you wanted to make sure you got established early in your program? Well, I, I think, um, you know, one of the big things is, and, and I got the job at Tenor very, very late. I got it in August, uh, you know, of and uh, going into that season, um, we didn't have a lot of preparation time uh, in the summertime like like you do now and things like that. It was a little bit different uh, for that. So so we didn't really get going until the, the, the uh, 
conditioning situation in the fall. But um, um, I, I, I wanted to set the tone at Tenora, and 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 I wanted to make sure that that we did things the right way. You know, we practiced hard, and and uh, we ran from drill to drill. I was never a big uh, conditioning coach, and I kind of got this uh, from Danny Knee. He wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, run line drills or, or what in the old days what we called suicides or things like that. But he was a guy that was was big on running from drill to drill, and that's where he wanted his players to get conditioned. You know, he didn't he didn't ever want to stop while we were doing the fundamental part of the game. Uh, he didn't want people standing around. He wanted people moving and so forth. And, um, that's what we wanted to do was set the tone at Tabor on, on playing hard and things like that. And I'm, I'm still convinced even, uh, you asked the question earlier in this about, um, you know, what, what philosophies, I, I still think if you can play hard at the high school level, um, you, you can win an awful lot of basketball games and be successful. I, I, thank you for saying that. Um, I, I, just, the longer I'm around it and the more, I've said this to lots of people, and I say it as a joke, but I mean it. Like, I, I can't completely get away from coaching because 20 minutes in the bleachers at a high school game makes me want to be anywhere, <laughs> anywhere but in the bleachers when, when I'm at a game. It, it's it, because it, there's this feeling that, that there's this wand to coach waves that's going to fix everything that's wrong. And, and, coach, sometimes the answer is we're not playing hard enough. We're, we're not playing hard enough. And, and I'll get into a question kind of based off of that, but I, I'm glad you said that. And I, I think, again, there's so much merit to less is more and shortening practices and saving guys' legs, but, but you still have to practice at a pace that prepares you to play a game. And you got to practice at that pace really from the very first day of practice. And, and I, I think there's a ton to be gained from that idea that if we practice right when we're drilling and transitioning to drills, that, that's where you gain some things. And I've, I've been around programs that, that do it a lot of different ways, but the one constant to me in the programs that are good is there, whatever the practice time is, if it's an hour and 20 minutes or if it's two hours and 40 minutes, there's not a lot of wasted time. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think you just made a great point, John. We, you know, as February comes into play or late January comes into play, we really shorten practices, you know, sometimes to an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes just to an hour. Um, but I think where, where some young coaches make a mistake and, and, and players definitely make a mistake is they think a shorter practice means you can you can go a little easier. But but you still got to got to make that effort. You still got to learn to play hard because it, the bottom line is when things get tough during a game, you'll resort back to the way that you, that you practice. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. And uh, as you said, uh, you know. Uh, paralysis by analysis. That's why we were never a program that ran a ton of plays. And I know some great coaches, Rob Sheldon, Dave Fraley, you know, they ran a ton of plays. You know, I, I just never felt comfortable. I wanted to be a little more freelance offensively and, and let the players use their skills off the dribble, in the post, wherever it might be. Uh, and then get them to play their tails off at the defensive end. So um, there's been some great coaches that have had millions of plays. Uh, we, we never did that at Tenora, Rossford, or at Defiance. Coach, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about your Rossford experience and then your time at Defiance. Sounds good. Hey, I want to take just a second and tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, I'd like you to consider – 
uh, being a partner to the show. We've lost our sponsorship with Anchor. They're still our platform, but the sponsorship agreement ha has ended after four months. And, and I would really like you to consider being a sponsor and a partner to the show. There's a place at anchor.fm where you can uh, donate to the podcast on a monthly basis. And it can be as small as a couple of dollars and as large as you would like it to be. Uh, and we would like to consider uh, some title sponsorship if we get some some donations that are, are, are larger in nature. But I, I really am just hopeful that that a handful of listeners who enjoy what we do here would like to see this continue and allow us the opportunity to to gain from it and pay off some things, too, on our end here at the podcast. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you enjoy what we do and you have any interest at all in, in being a sponsor and, and making a monthly donation to the podcast, please visit anchor.fm. And uh, check out the option of, of making a monthly donation to the podcast. Greatly appreciate your consideration. And as always, whether you're a donor or not, uh, we hope you continue to listen and find enjoyment in Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. So, Coach Lehman, what I want to kind of get into now is, you know, after your, your time at Sonora, you, you became the coach at Rossford High School. And again, for a lot of our listeners, they're going to have some familiarity uh, with, with how things played out at Rossford. I don't want to slant my question one way or the other. I simply want to put it to you this way, that during your time at Rossford and when it came to an end, can you can you talk about either lessons you learned or maybe perspective you gained from your experience at Rossford High School? Well, and, and, and again, best, basketball-wise, John, it, it was an absolutely tremendous experience. Uh, you know, a basketball crazy town, Rossford. Uh, when, when I got there, um, they had uh, the Gladio name, the Hollifield name, uh, the Verboski name, and, and I'm throwing these kind of names out because the Rossford people really know them, and, and many in Northwest Ohio know them because their fathers, their parents, Fathers coached or played and so forth. I mean, it was just an absolutely basketball crazy town, and and uh, I had a great experience basketball wise coaching. Uh, you know, uh, people like Matt Gladio and Stephen Verbosky and uh, Jason Fry and then Adam Gladio, Joey Hollifield. Uh, his son played for Cardinal Stricks this year. They're going to go on to Oakland. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to coach Joey Junior's father. Um, who was an excellent player. Um, so we had some very, very talented players. And uh, probably the player that got the most out of his career uh, for me as a coach was, was Jeff Reif. He was a six-foot-one uh, post player. And, uh, boy, he could shoot a turnaround jump shot with the best of them, uh, really jump high, a strong kid. Um, but we, we had great kids at Rossford. I had a great coaching staff with Chuck Cox and Del Clayton and Von Graffine and um, was was very lucky to have, have four great years. Uh, it didn't end the best. Uh, you know, it was a situation um, where we had a disagreement, myself and the superintendent, so it didn't end the best. But those four years were still a great experience. And then the six remaining years that I stayed at Rossford before I came back to Defiance uh, were tremendous for me to get away from the game. Um, and then I met, met a great gentleman by the name of Steve Mix and uh, he started a basketball academy with Dave Matthews, and for six years I was able to do some of those things with them. But um, the Rossford experience, basketball-wise, uh, was very good. It was a great league. The NLL was a tremendous league with Southview and Northview, uh, Perrysburg and Maumee, and uh, we had some some great games. Uh, 
some great coaches, Jim Robinson at Maumee, Larry Clark at Perrysburg, and uh, just just some Tim Reiser at Springfield, some great coaches in that league. So it was an absolutely great experience to, to go up against uh, a higher level and Division One type athletes and so forth. Well, I, I think that league is extremely underappreciated by this immediate area of Northwest Ohio, because there aren't a lot of schools that size right here in this, in the Lima land area, so to speak. And, and I think that league is underappreciated because you just talked about a league that I think um, from, from the standpoint of competitiveness and, and the quality of, of, of coaching uh, of who you were competing with night in night out, they don't have to take a backseat to anybody. They didn't have to in the eighties and early nineties and they don't now. Um, yeah. It's really, really good. But, you know, you just said a couple of things that stood out. One, I had no idea Von Grafeen was one of your assistants, and I just absolutely love Von Grafeen to death. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, um, he, he had worked at Rossford, right, I think one year before I got there. And when I first got the job, Von was one of the first gentlemen to call me. Um, and, again, uh, just an absolute basketball junkie. I mean, he, he loves the game of basketball, uh, a tireless worker. Um does a great, great job of scouting, and and uh, he he was a tremendous assistant, as were Chuck Cox and Del Clayton. Um, I, again, basketball-wise, I, I had an absolutely great experience uh, with our players and, and and also the assistant coaches. It was uh, it was a top-notch program. Well, and, and then you also talked about your time involved with the Steve Mix Academy, and six years away from the from the sidelines, uh, not six years away from coaching. Uh, again, I, we could probably spend a one-hour podcast just talking about that experience, um, but but I would like you to get into anything specific, what, either for you that was beneficial uh, in terms of how, how you know that that getting your, your batteries recharged or whatever that did for you, but also uh, maybe some some things that impacted you when you got back into coaching. Well, you you hit the nail on the head. It it, it allowed me to recharge my batteries. You know, uh, uh, I didn't have to do all the preparation. You know, all the practice plans, all the getting up. And and I know a lot of coaches don't do this, but uh, you know, I was one of those guys that was up at four or five in the morning and, and getting practice schedules ready or getting scouting reports or looking at a little bit more film. Um, you know, preparing for the day along with my classes and things like that. So it did, John. It allowed me to recharge my batteries quite a bit, but yet I still kept my foot in the game uh, with Steve and Dave uh, running camps and having summer leagues. So I was still around an awful lot of high school coaches and so forth in the summertime. Uh, worked on some shooting lessons, um, and that's when Tim Reiser and I kind of got going and, and doing shooting camps and things like that. So um, it, it really did. It recharged my batteries a little bit and uh, um, it allowed me to be with my family a little bit more. They were younger at the time, uh, just starting to get into elementary school and so forth. Uh, uh, so, so I wasn't much help, but I, what, what little I was, I was able to be around to help my wife a little bit during that time. And it really recharged. It did recharge my battery. And in and, and six years is, in a lot of ways for coaches, six years is a lifetime uh, to be away from the thing that you're so passionate about. I, I think oftentimes, uh, you know, years ago, we, we, we heard the word burnout when I think Dick Vermeil was the first coach I ever heard use the phrase burnout when he got out of the NFL. And, and a lot of people kind of giggled about that. But 
Coach, there's no no way around it. I, I don't care what it is that you're passionate about. If you're really passionate about it, it takes a toll on you. Um, it, 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 it takes a piece of you, um, you know, the longer you do it. And, and not everybody, quote unquote, needs time away. Not everybody chooses to take time away. Uh, some people do. But but if you're going to be away, there has to be a benefit. And I hear you say that there there really was. The question I have for you is as long as six years sounds like to me to be off the sideline, because it does sound like a long time. How many times in six years did you flirt with coming back maybe a little too early? You know, surprisingly, John, I, I never really did. And, and I think that access to, to the Steve Mix Basketball Academy uh, allowed me to do that. You know, uh, it, it, it still kept me involved. And, and, and they ran things through fall. And they did some conditioning things and some shooting camps and things like that. So so right up to basketball season, I was still a little bit busy. But um, I, I really never had that itch. Um, you know, until the spring of 2003 and, and Barry Parsons called me at Rossford, uh, uh, during my conference period. And he said, uh, Hey, I'm going to take a shot and, uh, I'm going to let you know that the, the defiance job's open and we'd like you to interview if you're interested. And, and, uh, that's all it took, John, as, as soon as that happened, it, the light switch went on, I was ready to go. Um, I know our family was ready to get back to the defiance area and, and uh, luckily we came back and, and luckily Coach Parsons uh, offered me the job and, and uh, uh, couldn't be happier and couldn't be more appreciative of, of what Coach Parsons did for me. So let me ask you what I think is a pretty simple question, but maybe doesn't have quite as simple of an answer. Um, in deciding to go back to Defiance, your high school alma mater, going back home, what was the primary appeal or how did it balance out versus and what I mean by that is I want to get back to coaching again and I want to go home which which was kind of the primary motivator for you I think it probably was a combination but but probably the the one that's a little bit higher was was going back home going back to defiance um you know my wife and I are both from this area um my parents and her parents were still in this area and and uh, so, so it was a situation that, uh, you know, uh, it, it just worked out perfect. Uh, you know, I had, had a, I had had a chance uh, a couple years at Tenora to look into the Defiance job, and I never did because I didn't think the timing was right, John. I just didn't think uh, I was far enough removed from graduating there or from playing there and so forth. And, uh, you know, it worked out perfect because the Kenora and, and Rossford jobs were tremendous jobs with kids that played extremely hard. Um, and, and then in 2003, the, the timing was right. And, uh, you know, it, it was okay to come back because I'd been far enough removed from 1978. And uh, I, was, I was able to be Coach Lehman, I think, rather than Kirk Lehman, the basketball player. God, Coach, I, I can't tell you how much I respect that answer because – you know, for, for whatever reason, in, in Northwest Ohio in particular, it's become uh, fairly commonplace for people to go back to their alma maters and coach. But I, I think oftentimes there is a there, there's a lack of understanding about the importance of that distance uh, between, you know, being who you were as a young kid in high school and, and having a, an identity as a as a grown up and, and as a professional and as you know, it, it, I'm not going to say it's necessary. I'm not going to say it's essential to every situation, but at your age, you know, in the early to mid eighties, 
uh, to have that kind of maturity and understanding of your and self-awareness of your circumstance, I think is truly rare. And I think it benefited you in, in, in a great way, although you had no way of knowing that 16 or 17 years later, the job would come back around. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and uh, you know, a lot of those things and, and you hear coaches all the time and you hear great athletes all the time saying, boy, you've got to have a lot of breaks. you got to be lucky. You know, you, there's talent that's involved with winning championships and, and having good things happen, but there's also a little bit of luck. And, and I think that's very, very true, you know. Um, and in this situation, it, it was the right timing. Um, and and who, who, know, who knew that the finest job would, eat, would even open up? But luckily for us, it did. And, um, you know, the rest is history. And it, it was a great experience for me to come back. Well, I'll tell you what, I, my, my only advice to coaches, because nobody with as bad a career record as I have needs to give too much advice, but, <laughs> but, but, but my only advice to coaches is don't ever even hint at apologizing for good luck because nobody cuts you any breaks when the luck's bad. That's exactly right, John. <laughs> That's a great point. And, and you know, people, I don't think people understand how, how hard it is to, to win, how hard it is. Uh, you know, to be successful, and, and especially at the high school level. You know, you get to the college level, and uh, Coach Hahn and I talk about this all the time. You know, those kids are focused on playing basketball. You know, you get high school kids, and, and their focus might be in the classroom. Their focus might be on a girlfriend. Their focus might be on uh, another sport that they play. And, and all of that's okay. That's part of living, and that's part of being a high school kid. But, but that's the things that you have to, to work around and, and work with when you get to the high school level. And, and, and it's all things that impact your your passion and in some ways can have an impact on your livelihood. And, I, I you know, I, I think having that realization as a guy who lives through it's one thing. It's trying to get other people to have that kind of perspective is where the challenge lies. And you, you can't really do that. You can't spend time trying to get other people to understand it. But. Uh, coaching would be a lot different profession, I think, if, if more people had the perspective of, you know, the, the numbers on the scoreboard are impacted by a lot more than whether or not our coach is good. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That is exactly right. And, and yeah. there, there, there's a lot of good coaches that, that win a ton of games, and, and it's undeniable that they're great coaches. I think a guy's in, in, in my era that, you know, S Steve Williman was a mentor to me. Great coach, undeniably. Won a ton of games, Absolutely. and you can't deny he's a great coach. But there are a lot of good coaches that don't get to Columbus and don't win regionals and don't win district titles and maybe don't have spectacular records, but they're, they're pretty damn good coaches and, and they just have been in situations that aren't quite as good for them. Uh, I just think that's part of the game. And uh, unfortunately it's not something that, that a lot of people are, are readily willing to accept um, in, in a lot of communities. And that's again, a whole different topic. I'd like to, to spend some time coach talking a little bit about what you said is, is the timing being more right for you. So when you come back to defiance to take over that program, a, a couple of things, one, did, did you feel like there was any inherent pressure on you because it was home and, and what was the program like that you took over? Well, I, I didn't feel like there was any inherent. And I think that the big reason for that, John was, was, there had been enough time that had, that had gone past, uh, um, you know, so, so I didn't feel any extra, extra pressure or any more pressure than, than a coach puts on themselves. And, and I think that's one thing a lot of people don't understand, you know, outside is, you know, after every game, after every practice, um, you know, coaches sit down and, and, and they critique themselves. They're, they're their biggest critic. They're looking at different ways of doing things and so forth and what we could have done differently and so forth. So 
Um, I didn't feel any extra pressure as far as outside uh, people in, in the defiance area, that's for sure. Um, you know, uh, the program, um, they had some players, and, and, and they Coach Vo had done a great job, um, you know, and, and uh, he had gotten them into an awful lot of things offensively and defensively, and the kids knew the game of basketball. So I was lucky when I came back. Um, and as I like to say, you know, you can look at all of our really good teams, whether it's at Logan, Tenora, Rossford, or Defiance, you have a really good point. And when I got back there, uh, L.J. Helton was a senior. And, and although I had him for just one year, um, one heck of a point guard, and he allowed us to implement everything that we used for 17 years. And I, I just can't say enough about that. You know, other kids were, were tremendous. Um, Austin Keel. Um, you know, Mark Nossinger, Will Swery, there were a ton of them that were very, very good players and played extremely hard. But when you have a point guard that really understands the game, uh, he can help you do a lot of things. And, and L.J. Helton, even though it was only one year, uh, his impact was felt for 17 years, that's for sure. Well, that's a, that's quite a statement to make about a young man that early in your career. And, and, and I guess that kind of mitigates the next question I was going to ask because I was going to ask you if you remember anything about the transition that was particularly challenging in terms of was was your style of play drastically different was your practice approach different was your preparation different uh, it sounds like because of at least one young man the transition maybe was aided because of that but do you remember anything about transitioning back to defiance and, and maybe making it your program that created some challenges that maybe you didn't expect well I know one thing that was the biggest challenge, John, is that, that's the WBL for crying out loud. That was the, big, that was the biggest challenge. Um, you know, uh, I had forgotten how good it was. Um, you know, and, and when we had gotten, came back, uh, you know, the Pilots were at, um, you know, uh, at, at Ottawa Glandorf. Uh, Butler was at Lima Shawnee. Um, you know, Salina had talent coming out to, years and things like that and it was just it was just such a challenge to prepare you know uh for that conference and uh you know in, in the nll we played a double round robin in other words we played home and home so um luckily in the wbl you only played them once so i don't know if i'd have survived if we'd had to play them more than once because uh the league and the coaches at that time were just tremendous well and that actually was was a big part of the question i wanted to ask is being where you were uh, up north and then coming here, uh, I, there is a maybe a mini Hall of Fame in terms of the coaches that you competed with. Uh, were, were there guys that, and I don't, I, it's hard to single people out, and I'm not asking you to, to be f fearful of leaving anyone out, but whether it was when you were at, at Rossford or when you came back, were, were there guys that you competed against that you felt specifically made you a better coach? Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, you know, early in my career, you know, there's a Paul Wayne at Holgate, uh, Al Welch at, at, at Wayne Trace, uh, and then Tim Clemens comes along at Antwerp uh, and, and plays the style that he used to play, slow down and, and create situations for you to have to coach against. Uh, Ralph Roofer, an ab absolutely great coaching league in the GMC. And then, um, you know, Coach Wayne and I stayed in touch and, and talked a ton of basketball over the years, uh, sometimes into the early mornings, uh, many nights. So, um, 
that was definitely a gentleman that, that, that I talked an awful lot of basketball with, uh, even though we were opponents uh, and foes against one another. Um, you know, and I, I think that's the greatest thing about coaching John is, is the coaches and, and the camaraderie and, and, and the way you can compete against one another. But at the same time, uh, you know, still talk basketball and still remain friends and things like that. So, uh, you know, and then I get to the, to the WBL and, and we talked about some of the NLL coaches, but the WBL, you know, Coach Sweet was at Landorf and um, Coach Caney was at Salina and, and, and just coaches that, that really, really knew the game and, and you had to compete against Coach Freilich at, at Van Wert. Um, you know, it's, it's just a who's who and, and, and you learn a ton from them. Uh, Phil and I go all the way back to OU camps in the, in the middle 80s and late 80s. and um, Just an awful lot of fun talking basketball with them, competing against them, and and uh, and now becoming friends with them. Uh, and, and that's the part that I guess I'm always going to – probably the reason I started doing the podcast was I, I knew I wasn't going to coach, but I, I wanted to stay plugged into coaches. I just There's yeah. just something about being around them that I like. And I, and I benefit from, and, and, and hopefully it's, it's a little bit mutual. But if not, I know I benefit a ton from being around uh, around coaches because there's just there, there's personal growth there. And, and I think most of the guys that you just mentioned obviously are very good coaches, but but part of what makes them really good coaches is they, they've got some wisdom and some insight and some life experience that, yeah. that, that can help you outside the gym too. And, I, and that's what I benefit from probably more than anything else. Coach, I don't want to shortchange this, and I don't want to make the podcast all about it because I think we could could maybe do a podcast on it. But I want to give you a chance just to talk as much or as briefly as you would like. Um, but I want to give you a chance to talk about what it was like winning a state title at your alma mater. Well, very surreal, uh, John. Just uh, uh, obviously a, an unbelievable experience. Um but, but just to be able to um, share in the joy of, of doing that, uh, obviously with your players and your coaches. And, and uh, uh, that group was so, so special. And, and the, the assistants were, were such hard workers. But, but, but also to be able to share it, um, even though my parents uh, had passed on, you know, be able to share that with them. Uh, you know, I could look up and, and, and they, they knew we had done that. It, that just felt good because I, I, my parents had been such a big part of my life. And, um, you know, uh, my coaching philosophy and the things that you do in coaching, um, you learn from them. And my aunts and uncles who go to games and, and then a lot of the longtime uh, season ticket holders and so forth. It, it's just it, it's just so hard to even after five years to be able to put it into words, uh, but just absolutely a great, great experience. Well, Coach, and, and I can't speak with a ton of authority on it because I didn't watch all your teams play, and I obviously saw that team play a, a lot that year. I was doing more radio uh, than I was coaching at that time and, and, and was, was around a, a lot of your games. And uh, it felt like, and again, I make no bones about it, you got to make shots to win basketball games, but that, that group of young men, particularly in the last month of the season, uh, at least from the outside looking in where I sat, they epitomized what you talked about earlier in the podcast is that if if you just play really damn hard for 32 minutes, you can win a lot of basketball games. And and that's, that's the key part that I think gets lost is 
32 minutes. Your, your kids played hard for 32 minutes. Yeah, and John, we did that for 29 games. I mean, it, it was a it was a team that uh, they they had one thing in mind, and that was winning, and they weren't going to stop till the buzzer went off, and and they had accomplished that. And uh, you know, the the one great thing that we had, I thought, was um, they were so versatile. You know, we were able to. Um, you know, Wes Detter could play a shooting guard, but then he could run the point a little bit. Um, you know, uh, Shay uh, Smitty and, and Katwan Singleton um, could guard post. They could guard guards. You know, they could just do a lot of different things. And, and that group was so versatile and so hard working, uh, you know, and, and they understood the game. And, and then when you have a leader like a Katwan Singleton who, who knows knows how to win, knows that he wants to win. And, you know, he could have gone out and done, gotten, gotten his points, gotten his rebounds, but he just understood if we were going to win the whole thing, he had to get everybody else up to that same level and, and just was a, a tremendous leader for us. Well, and again, from where I sat, the thing that stood out to me, and I, I, I don't know, Coach, if this is something that can be taught, if it's something that can be developed, in players, but the one thing about that group of young men that really struck me was that the circumstance in the game did not impact who they were or how they how they performed their specific role. Um, what tight game, late game, uh, behind needing to come back, ahead needing to protect the ball. I, I I watched that team and was just continually amazed that the circumstance in the game didn't appear to impact their their ability to just focus on their job, and they and they appeared very comfortable no matter what the circumstance was. Yeah, that is an absolutely great point. Uh, you know, as you were talking about that, John. You know, I thought about our semifinal game when. AJ Harris took the ball away from us so fast and make your head spin. I still don't know how he got it a couple of times, you know, and, and a lot of teams would be flustered by that. A lot of kids uh, would be flustered in front of 9,000 people watching somebody steal the ball from you. But, but our guys just thought, Hey, that's, that's part of this game. That's, that's the way it's going to happen. And, and you're exactly right. That's how they did things. They just, they dealt with everything, and they, they continued to play, whether it was good or bad. Um, they, they, they just had a great mentality about them. And, and people would always ask me, uh, you know, were you really nervous and things like that? And with this team, I wasn't. You know, obviously we're, there were nerves like there always are. But when you got into the game, you just, you just felt good about these guys. They understood how to play. They understood what it took, and, and uh, they played extremely hard. And I, again, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but is that something that you feel like guys are, are born with or they're not? Or is there a way to develop that kind of, of uh, emotional intelligence or emotional maturity in your players? Boy, that's a great question. You know, we've, <laughs> we've thrown those ideas out with, with my brother, with other coaches and things like that. You know, where, where, where does that type of approach come from? And I think – I think you can do some of it in, in the practice type situations like you and I talked about is, you know, keep playing, keep practicing. Uh, you know, you make a turnover, boom, they're inbound and you better get back on defense and play, you know. So, so you can kind of uh, nourish it, I think. But, but I think that's just something inside that a lot of guys have. That, uh, and that's why they're successful. I, pre I appreciate that answer a great deal, Coach. I really do, because 
obviously if it was something that you knew how to teach and bottle, you, you, you <laughs> probably be making a lot of money but as a we consultant. For, coaching, John. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I want to, I want to shift gears just for a, a little bit here. And, and I got a couple questions that are kind of tied to each other. Uh, you know, you've been around the game a long time from, from player to coach to assistant coach to head coach. Now you've been out of the game as a coach for a little while, but obviously still, still plugged into it. And we, we hear constant communication and I say it a lot in the last 20 years, there's been remarkable changes in the game of basketball. Are there changes in the game that from the beginning of your career to now that you look at and, and, and either way feel really good about, or maybe some things that you see that have changed that maybe you, you don't like as well. Well, I, I think kind of two things, John. I, I think the one thing is obviously the three-point shot. I, I think that's really changed the game. I think it's, um, you know, it's it's made coach coaches have to adjust to certain things. Um, you know, it's obviously made players different types of players. Uh, you know, we we don't go to the hole as much as what we used to probably in in many situations. Um, you know, it, it, it actually opens up the post, and, and I'm still not sure, and, and uh, I'm kind of rooting for the Lakers to continue that. And I know uh, Davis hit a three-pointer to win the game the other day, but uh, just getting to the rim and getting points in the paint, I, I still think are very, very important. And, and with the three-point shot, it, it opens up things. And I, I think it did when it was first originated, um, and I still do to this day. The other thing that I think, it's hurting the game just a little bit, and I really, really hope because we all share in this, coaches, uh, players to some extent, and, and officials. I, I just think the game at times becomes too rough and, and too physical, um, you know, and, 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 and I, that blame doesn't go strictly on the officials because I think coaches – uh, push for that. I know that I wanted our guys to be more physical and, and, and to body people up and things like that. And um, at times I think that's, that's what makes for the low scores uh, many times in games and things like that. So I, I, I hate to say too much about it because it's a great game. Um, you know, I've loved the association with the game and, and the people that we've met, whether it's been officials uh, to coaches, to players, to fans, um, you know, it's it's just been such a great game for me and given me an awful lot, and I hope I've put just as much back into it. Uh, I, I know I'm tired. Uh, I know I'll miss it, but but it's time to, to move on. There's no question about it because uh, um, we put an awful lot of effort into it, and when you're gassed, you're gassed. So uh, it, it'll be fun watching. And, and again, I'll, I'll miss basketball. There's no question about it. But but it's time to do other things. It's time to fish with my brother and, and uh, time to do things with family and those kind of things, John. Well, when, when you think about being away from the game for an extended period of time and, and being done with coaching and maybe just being a fan, do, do you do you think about things that maybe that you would still like to see change about the game, ideally? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a good game. I, I really do. Uh, you know, I I think the big thing is is I'd like to see coaches adjust a little bit and not not be as physical with the game and things like that. And and I think you put the officials on the spot a lot. Um, I, I'd like to see more fouls called, and and then maybe people would adjust in those situations. I know, you know, Coach Renz used to to really preach that. You know, if if you got called for a reaching foul, he says, well, if they're calling it, then don't do it. 
you know, and, and adjust to those kind of things. And that's, that's the way the game evolves. But, um, you know, I, I really think it's a, it's a great game. Uh, I think in high school, it's going to be tough to implement a shot clock, uh, situation with, with the personnel and, and things like that. But, um, I, I would not be opposed to a shot clock because I know kids would adjust the shot clock coaches would adjust. Um, but I think it's, it's a pretty darn good game, even without the shot clock time. So last question then, based on, on obviously the love that you have for the game and, and the experiences that you've had, I, this is just a question that I think a lot about. Um, if, if, if you had the opportunity, if, if it were possible to be starting over again, you're going into your first head coaching job today, and, and, and again, knowing what you know and have experienced what you did, can you think of some things that would be different about your approach now if you were doing it as opposed to maybe when you got started? You know, I, I said this about five years ago, uh, and, and it was right before the, the state championship uh, season. You know, I, I told our assistants, if, if I had anything to do over, I, I'd worked more on individual moves and, and shooting in, in our practice situations. Uh, when I first went to Tenora, those poor guys – they're probably looking back and they're, they're saying, boy, I really wish he would have done that. Cause I, <laughs> I think, I think 90% of our, our practices were, were defense. Uh, we're, we're zigzag. We're two on two, three on three, um, transition defensive drills. Um, you know, and, and I don't think I worked enough on, on the shooting aspect of it. And, and as I went to camps and as I, I worked with more and more coaches and so forth, um, they showed me shooting drills and things like that that, that involved conditioning that, that could keep uh, that level that you needed. And I thought the only way you were going to get that conditioning when I was young was was, was defensively. It's, it's play defense, play defense, and that'll get us into shape. I kind of wish I'd worked a little bit more probably on the shooting aspect and the individual moves of, uh, of our players at that time uh, like I did later in my career, John. Well, Coach, after the career you had, um, I, I would imagine that, that it's it's true that there will always be things that, that could have been different and, and maybe qualify as quote-unquote regrets. But uh, I, I hope there aren't many um, for, for any coach that gets, gets out of it. I hope there aren't many. But I've said this to, to several guys on the podcast. I, I, I love the coaching profession and, and people that choose to do it. I think it's an admirable choice. Guys that I've been blessed to be around that have done it and done it well, I have tremendous respect for. Unfortunately, the game loses good guys all the time, and 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 uh, good coaches walk away. It's what happens. We step aside, and uh, you know, Northwest Ohio high school basketball is not as well off with you not doing it uh, as it as it was when you were doing it. I, and, and I'm not going to feel any differently about that. But I do get to say congratulations on what I think is a remarkable career. And, and I appreciate more than anything else, the impact um, that you were able to have on a couple of generations of young men. And, and maybe some of them will be coaches. Maybe some of them won't, but I think they're all going to be good employees. I think they're all going to be good fathers. I think they're all more, more than likely going to be good husbands. And, and I hope that you don't ever discount the role that you played in that. Because again, when I said what I said at the start of the podcast, is that 30 plus years in coaching when I can't find anybody to say anything bad uh, about a coach 
uh, what what it says to me is it's it, it's a whole lot more good than just the X's and O's and the wins and losses. And so I want you to know how much I appreciate that and how much I appreciate your willingness to do the podcast. I think you were a little bit reluctant initially, and I'm just thrilled that you agreed to. I think this has been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. I really have, John, and, and thank you so much. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of my environment. Uh, you know, I've been blessed to be around great people that taught me an awful lot and great players that played hard and, and unbelievable assistant coaches that helped me along the way, and, and I cannot thank them enough. But uh, – like I told you, I'll, I'll miss it, but but it was time, and it's it's time to do other things. And uh, I wish everybody the best of luck out there because coaching profession is not always the easiest thing, but but it might be the most rewarding. Uh, I haven't been in a lot of professions, but it, it's awful rewarding when you talk to those kids 10 years afterwards. So thank you, John. I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate what you do for high school basketball. I, I appreciate that more than you know. And I, 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 when we started, I told you I'd try to keep you. I didn't want to keep you from missing too much of your Indians. Go watch your Indians. And uh, we will uh, we will hopefully catch up sooner rather than later because Childers swears to me we're going to get you on some Saturday morning to talk to us on the radio. Uh, that sounds sounds good to me. Just, just tell Maddie not to cut into my fishing time, please. <laughs> you got it. That's the deal. Coach, thanks so much right, for your thanks. time. All right. We'll talk soon. See you. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe, and if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook, that's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0, anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.